Hello, fellow griever. This is the Leftover Pieces Suicide Loss Conversations podcast, and I am Melissa, your host. This week, you have found yourself with me for one of my shorter, solo, down-the-rabbit-hole episodes. Here, I take you with me on a journey of sorts, through thoughts in my own griefy mind. Some days, I may tackle topics as if I am in Alice's shoes, slaying the Jabberwocky, and on others, I may end up in my own pool of tears, or I may just go a bit sideways and paint the proverbial roses red, but I always promise an adventure. So let's dive down the rabbit hole and see just what sorts of madness we might discover together. I am glad you have joined me, because while I do know how lonely this grief is, I also believe we needn't be alone. Welcome. Hello, fellow grievers, and welcome to the podcast today. It is season four, episode 22. And as I just told you, it's a rabbit hole episode. But today's a little bit special because it is the 100th published episode of the podcast. And today, even before I realized was the 100th episode, I knew I wanted to speak specifically to parents. Um, In case you don't already know, in my community where I hold support groups and have legacy projects and um, other courses that I teach on healing from trauma and stuff, I do specifically work with parents in those groups because I'm a suicide loss parent and that feels like my area of unfortunate expertise, if you will. But on the podcast here, I do speak to all suicide loss. So I speak to any of you that have lost a loved one to suicide. And because I do work so um, closely with a lot of parents, I know that I have conversations with parents quite often, but I also have conversations with siblings and spouses and experts in the field and sometimes uncles and different relations to the loved one. Today, I did want to speak specifically to my own loss as a parent and talk a little bit about parent loss. And before you decide this episode might not be for you if you were not a parent who's lost a child by suicide, I do think that there's going to be plenty of nuggets in here that would apply across the board But just know that if you are a parent, I'm speaking directly from my broken heart to yours on what some of my experiences have been with healing. And so that's the topic today. I'm specifically discussing how parents heal, or is it even possible to heal, is probably what a lot of you are thinking. And I know that the concept of healing after losing a child, period, let alone losing a child to suicide, seems foreign, probably to many of you listening, if you're in your first couple of years. I know that if somebody had brought up to me that I was going to be able to heal from this loss within the first few years, I'm not sure I would have believed them. Now that said, I would have been much more likely 
and probably would have felt hopeful if I had heard that from another parent who had lost someone to suicide or lost her child to suicide. And that is where I indeed found my greatest strength and source of hope was the first time I met another mother who's still a dear friend of mine who happened to be three years ahead of me, if you will, in this journey. She had lost her son three years prior. And the first time I met her was the first time I was willing to really listen to what I was going to be able to expect in this journey. So that's what I'm going to try to impart on you a little bit today. So what is healing? What do I mean by healing when I talk about, is it possible? And I don't want it to be confused with meaning that you're going to be over this, that you're going to no longer be sad, or that you'll even stop grieving. Because personally, my belief system is that I'm going to grieve the loss of my son, Alex, for the rest of my life. Because grief to me is just love that you can no longer express to a living person. And just as I love my other children more every day, I will also love Alex more every day. So there will be a part of me that will be grieving alongside of all of the other things I'm doing in my life. And that's just the way it's going to be, right? Is it easy to heal? Absolutely not. But there's nothing easy about this life that we have found ourselves in, is there? So what I'm going to tell you is that I do absolutely believe that when we have been shattered on this level, we can learn eventually how to pick up our leftover pieces and be whole again. It takes time. And yes, it's hard. But we have to start by first gathering those pieces after we have spent time surviving, just sitting amongst them. We eventually are able to start to build a toolkit. And with help, we can then start to rebuild, which to me is the beginning of the healing. And let me be really clear when I'm talking about suicide loss or traumatic loss of a child, which fits with any loss by suicide. I'm talking about healing your trauma and healing the things that are existing inside of our subconscious mind, which is where 80% of everything we're doing is guided from. So let me talk a little bit about why I always talk in terms of phases, which is not the same as stages. I don't believe in stages of healing, at least not in the way that we used to believe that we would just go through the different five stages, I think it was, of grief and somehow come out on the other end um, healed or whole, which is why it's hard for me to use that word because I don't want it to be misconceived because grief and healing is not linear. And that's the way those stages used to make grief appear. You went from one to another to another, and then eventually you were done. Kind of like working your way, you know, just through a workbook. And once you were completed, it was done. Grief doesn't work that way. But what I have found in my journey, and I'm six and a half years in, is that the first three years were very pivotal for me. That 
I found distinct things that occurred in those three years that I've been able to base how I talk to grievers now and how I help give them hope. I refer to the first year after the loss of our child by suicide as survival, because we are literally doing just that. I do recommend that grievers find community as quickly as they can, a community that understands. So if you are a parent, I recommend that you find a community of other moms. If you're a mom, other dads, if you're a dad, some couples find parent groups together. But if you're a sibling or a spouse or a friend or a child, I recommend that you find a group that fits as closely to that loss or at least is specific to suicide grief and help to help you find a place to not feel so alone because survival is very lonely. This grief journey is very lonely. You're going to have to give yourself a lot of space and grace in this first year. And it's a good time to start practicing that because you guys, I still have to give myself space and grace at times to try to breathe through this. So the first year is the concentration on getting through all of the firsts and starting to establish some basic routines again, because all of that's thrown out of whack in the beginning. So after passing the first year mark, many parents like myself find that that survival cloak that you are wearing, that heavier fogginess that was around you has started to lift and the sharpness of reality and the sharpness of permanence is setting in. And I don't feel like it's unfair to talk about, but I I just want to be careful and not um, I just remind everybody that I, I want you to take everything here as something that is my experience, but that doesn't mean that it always applies to you or that it applies in the exact same time frame. But, you know, there's some generalities that I'm making here. And the one that I'm trying to be cautious of is I don't want to feel negative in saying this, but many parents here that the second year is harder. And I want to clarify that a little bit because I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't necessarily agree either. And that's because I'm now four and a half years away from this two-year mark. And so I will tell you that the two-year mark often feels worse and harder. And I think it's because that cloak of protection of the kind of shock and the the fog that you're living under when you're in survival mode and you are still uh, protected a lot by your own brain and its trauma response makes the second year feel harder because it really is when the permanence that your child is not coming back starts to set in heavily. And so I think that my hope, and that's what I always call the second year is the year that you find hope that doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean it shows up right away. But for me, I find that as you start to accept the loss a little bit more, that acceptance bridges itself to hope. 
And so my encouragement for parents in telling them that the second year can be harder is that if you don't go into it blind like I did, if you go into it knowing that it's going to be these things, that it's going to be hard and sharp and raw, that you can arm yourself better with some tools that will help ease some of that. And again, it is about finding community. If you haven't done it up until then, definitely do it in your second year. I encourage people to find community as quickly as they can. But I also find that besides community, this is the year that you're going to be building your tools. You're going to be starting to try out different things that will help you to navigate this second year of your grief journey better. And because you are so different fundamentally as a person now, it may be things that you haven't tried before. Your mind will be open to other things that you might be able to do that will help ease your grief at times, will help bridge you into a place of finding hope, hope that there can be joy again, hope that you can eventually feel happiness and learn to find meaning in life again. It's going to show up in small bursts, but it's it's going to show up if you work on it and you let, allow it to. And so after making it through the second year, I often talk about people moving into their third year as moving into the year that real healing can start. And that's where I started this podcast was the idea of can parents heal? You know, is it possible for them to heal? And so this allows me to expand on that idea a little bit more. So that's when I think you really get to start to practice using the tools that you've started to flesh out as tools that may help you in this journey, things that really resonate with you as a griever, as a mom, as a dad. Again, I am speaking directly to parents in this episode, but I know that there are things that could help other people as well. And in the third year, you're going to feel a little bit more steady on your feet. You're going to feel, unfortunately, a little bit more accustomed to living with the pain and the loss. And it allows you to really start to delve into making choices to heal your trauma. And that's what I'm talking about with healing. So a traumatic loss, like the loss of a child to suicide, creates inherent trauma in our subconscious self, which is where 80% of everything we do and feel comes from. Only 20% comes from our conscious mind. And so a trauma like this can actually not only be there to be worked on and healed itself, but it can often unearth other traumas that you've had in your life before this loss and can make it complicated. You're also going to have the trauma of some of the losses of relationships that will come after you've lost a child to suicide. We call those secondary losses. And this third year really is for a lot of people when they can really start to begin to the heal, to heal. And then from there, they'll be able to move beyond that into what they're going to look like in their new life. And I hope this doesn't feel discouraging to to be able to say out loud, 
It's going to take roughly three years, and I'm going to use the ish, three years-ish, to start to get your feet under you and feel like you have some sort of a direction with where you want to go. And it may take through the first three years, so a full year, a full year, full year. So you're going to be approaching year four, the four-year anniversary of the death of your child, before you probably are really starting to get a little bit clearer on how you're going to navigate and what you want to do and where you want to go with your life. And whether that includes incorporating anything into your life because of your child's loss. And I know many people that do incorporate um, advocacy work or awareness work or mental health awareness work into their life after the loss of their child, because we do these things to help bring meaning and to help us keep our child's memory alive and the leg- their legacy alive. We do those things for that reason. And I know many people start those things before year three or four. I also have talked to many of them and many of them th- off- say to me, it was too soon from a healing standpoint. So if you've done that and you're feeling overwhelmed as well, you're not alone and know that there's no reason you can't pause anytime you want to. And if you keep saying someday I'd like to do something, I just don't know if I'm ready. That's good too. So we all do these things at the time that it feels right for us. And part of the reason or the ways that I think some people figure that out is by being a part of a community of grievers and having a sounding board and having friends that understand and have also lost their child. And personally, what I do here in the Leftover Pieces community, so uh, outside of the podcast where I host the support groups for moms and the courses and the legacy project that I'm now doing, I've, I've everything I'm building to help all of you that are listening is specifically from my journey and knowing what I wish I had had. Some of it I did find later on, but much of it I didn't have in the beginning. And I feel that with three key needs met, you can get a really long way in your healing journey. Those three needs that I have found most moms and dads have are the need to not be alone, which I've answered with support groups and community. The need to have resources, both at the time of loss and beyond, in order to find the different help and therapies and things that you need. And the third need I have found that all moms and many dads have is a need to participate in or create some sort of a legacy for their child so that they feel like their child is being remembered. One of our biggest fears as a mom is that our child is going to be forgotten. So I want you to know that I do provide resources to answer all of those needs in my community. You can go to my website, click on the support tab and find all of those different ways I do currently have the legacy project group underway. It is surpassing my expectations on levels I can't even explain. I'm going to be opening the wait list for that project that will be starting again with a new group of people. It is a limited seat project, 
but there will be a new group of people starting at the uh, towards the third week in April, I believe. It's a 13-week course, and I'd love you to check that one out as well. But any questions you have, any resources you don't see that you wish I would provide information on, please reach out. I, I just want to be sure that I wrap this episode up today by telling parents that it's okay to figure out how to let go of the idea that we can't possibly be happy because our child has died. I know there's a lot of guilt associated with this loss with parents. And to say that all of it can be eradicated, I think, would be misleading because I haven't eradicated every single stitch of the guilt I have either. But I think that some of that just lingers because we're parents and we have guilt kind of built into our DNA when our children do anything that we may, that makes us question whether we could have, should have, might have done something different. But I will tell you that working through my grief and working actively to heal has eradicated, I believe, as much of that guilt as I possibly can. It's definitely eradicated in, it in my mind. I can't say that my heart has every piece of it eradicated, but I'll take where I'm at because it feels mostly successful with the guilt. And where I'm at in my grief journey is a very good place as far as having found happiness again, find, I've have found meaning again. I celebrate Alex's life and the 21 years that I had with him far more than I spend time thinking about how he died and when he died. And that's a place of power to move to as well. That doesn't mean I don't have sadness and tears because I still do. Actually, as a parent, probably fairly regularly compared to the type of grief we would have with other family members and stuff sometimes. But I feel more in control of it and it not in control of me anymore. And that's a big difference too. I'm more intentional with my grief and how I honor it in my life. And that feels much better. So again, I just wanted to make sure today to wrap this up by empowering parents a little bit and letting you know that you're not alone. And if you're listening and you feel alone, I hope that you'll take an opportunity to look at the support communities that I offer or look at the resource page on my website if you feel like my community doesn't resonate with you. And I have lots of other options there for you to find communities or support groups that you could plug into to find somebody to connect with to help you not feel so alone as you start to navigate or as you continue to navigate this journey of child loss after suicide. And if you're still listening, and I hope you are, I would like to let you know that in the coming weeks and months, I'm going to be releasing some new episodes that are, I'm going to call roundtables. I started this season with a roundtable episode that included my family members talking about where we were at six years. And I really enjoyed that format and thought I wanted to add some extra episodes that were of that format. So you're going to see some episodes coming your way that include a roundtable with moms speaking to their loss and their support community. You're going to see one with siblings. So if you have other children, stay tuned for that episode. Um, they can listen to an episode that has 
other siblings talking about their loss and how they've navigated it. I'm going to do one with friends, probably friends of my son or maybe friends of some of the other mom's kids that I know as well. And I'd like to consider a roundtable with dads. Dads are harder to come by in being willing to talk about this loss. So if you have a spouse that would be willing to consider that, please have them reach out to me. Or if you are a dad that's listening or a child that's listening and know that your parents might be interested, please have them reach out to me either at Melissa at the leftoverpieces.com or through Instagram messenger are the easiest ways to do it. Um, and you can do it right through an email button on my website as well, which is just the leftoverpieces.com. But those are, and I would be open to hearing any other ideas you had starting, um, in two weeks, I'll be starting the first question and answer, uh, down the rabbit hole episode. I was going to start that in January and y'all, even in my life, things can get in the way. So life, life happened and I did not launch that in January, but I will be launching that Q&A, uh, Ask Melissa a Question episode starting in February, um, probably uh, two weeks from the time of the release of this episode. And then depending on how it goes, I'll be doing that once a month, possibly just once every other month, depending on how many questions I get. There is a, you can do, you can go to theleftoverpieces.com backslash questions. I also think that there is a, well, I know there is, there's a link on my website under the podcast that says ask a question or something like that. And you can go to that link as well. I would love to get any questions from you about suicide loss or anything that you want to know that has to do with suicide loss. Um, and if I can't answer it, I will do my best to ask the question on the podcast and then give resources or places that I feel like the answer could be found. Um, and it will be anonymous. I will probably, I would love to have somebody put their first name, but I would never read somebody's first and last name, even if they put it on there. And you're welcome to just put anonymous with your name if you would like. Um, but if, if your name is there, I will read the first name and hopefully what state or country you're from, just because that makes it um, interesting to know where people are writing in from. But for now, I will close off today's episode and look forward to hearing from any of you. Be sure to sign up for my newsletter if you haven't. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, I would love to have you do that. And I will continue to hold each and every one of you in my heart as I go through this week and in weeks to come, and I'm sending you love, light, and peace. Talk soon. So we'll conclude here for today, but I just wanted to say a few things before you go. If you're new to the podcast and have not listened to the very first episode called Intro Episode Start Here, all the way back at the beginning of season one, I would encourage you to do so so that you know what to expect from the leftover pieces, because I do have several different styles of episodes that I record and we do release weekly, almost all of the time. So I hope that you will come back often to join us in this community of suicide loss survivors. If you have not already, also, I would encourage you to check out the leftoverpieces.com where you can find and have access to all of the things 
that I currently offer. Some of those things are online Zoom support groups, links to my books, educational opportunities that I'm adding all the time, as well as different downloadables and resources for all suicide loss survivors. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, or you'd just like to connect with me for any other reason, you can do it through the website as well. So until next time, I just want to remind you that I know how lonely this grief is, but you don't have to be alone. Talk soon.